Welcome to The Dining Table. I'm David Manilow. On the table today, telling stories through food. We'll hear an emotional tale from the winner of Top Chef and also how a James Beard Award winner learned about the hospitality business. Josephine's would be the nicest restaurant I'd ever visited, and the only picture I'd seen in the dining room involved a man in a tuxedo cooking something tableside on what I would later find out was called a gyrodon. I was certain that I would encounter some foreign question, probably involving a French word that I didn't know how to answer. I had pre-decided that if one of those questions came up, I would simply answer, whatever pleases the chef. Plus, Ali Marotti and I will discuss seven new restaurants that you might want to consider because the Michelin Guide already has. That's coming up next on The Dining Table. Joining me now is Liz Grossman, editor of Plate Magazine, and Rachel Rischel, owner of 3PR. Welcome. Hi, David. Thank you. So, first of all, I want to start with Rachel. I want to know your favorite restaurant in Chicago. I am obsessed with Dear Margaret. It is a Lakeview neighborhood gem that has gotten inordinately popular since the New York Times wrote about it. But it's the best team, incredible food, feels like you're walking into someone's home. And if you can get a reservation, I highly recommend it. And what kind of food is it? It is French Canadian inspired, but in the summer, it's very vegetable centric. Best fries I found in the city of Chicago right now, really strong wine list. Menu rotates constantly. Even if you go back every couple of weeks, I feel like you'll be pleasantly surprised by variations in the menu. So I'm going to say this. I've been to Dear Margaret. It's nice. It's a little, it's a little on the rich side, especially in the winter and spring months. But I'm going to recommend a few restaurants that if you like Dear Margaret, that you might like these. Have you been to Le Tour? Oh, this is like a Netflix. If you watch this, you want this. You know, we could call it, I, I kind of say you got to try. So I think if you, if you like Dear Margaret, have you tried um, Le Tour in Evanston, Amy Morton's new spot? I have not, but I like her cooking. Well, here's the interesting part of that, because I think where Dear Margaret is French-Canadian, this is actually French-Moroccan. So they have like tagines, they have couscous, they have things along with the mousses and the steak frites and things like that. So I think that might be a place that you might want to try if you like Dear Margaret. Okay, let's go out to dinner. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. Okay, Liz, tell me your favorite restaurant. So this is always a really hard question, but I had to go with La Bouchon. It is in my neighborhood now, but even when I didn't live just a few blocks from it, I just fell in love with that restaurant instantly. It's been around since 1993, which is crazy. So obviously, you know, standing the test of time, it's almost like a snow globe when you're in there in the wintertime, just like the most like perfect place to be. I kind of tend to get the same things when I'm there. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the steak frites, I love, I love all types of food, but just classic French bistro food, like you cannot go wrong with it. Lyonnais salad, steak frites, profiteroles, I mean, fantastic wine list, fantastic staff. It's just consistent. You know, I was actually there recently and they did this really beautiful sunchoke soup with trout roe and trout. So Oliver Polybe, who is now, you know, the chef and his father, obviously, you know, Jean-Claude, um, just iconic, you know, just started it. And obviously Oliver is carrying the torch, is trying different things and you'll find different things on the menu and keeping it fresh. But, you know, there's sort of nothing like Le Bouchon just as far as, you know, how long it's been around. One of my all-time favorite spots. And I must say, I am a, it's one of the few places that I get the same thing every time I go, which is the Lyonnais salad. And I have to go with someone because I got the duck for two and I make it a precondition that whoever we're going with is going to share the duck with me. So I have probably had that duck for two 
20 times there. And I've been going there pretty much since the beginning. Now, if you do like Le Bichon, you know he has a couple of other restaurants as well. Have you been to Obelix and have you been to Taqueria Chingang? I've been to both. Obelix was fantastic. Uh, we've already written about the Apple Galette. Different, just his take and more modern and super fun room. Love it. So yes. And then I did go to the Taqueria. It was during COVID. It was like takeout. I haven't been back, mm. but... um but I love it. Charming place on, on a Western. One I'm going to recommend that's not owned by him, that I'm, you may or may not, I know you've been to a lot of places, Bistronomic. A long time ago, but yes, fantastic. It's not you know as cozy, but nothing's as cozy as Le Bichon. But I do think it has a really genuine French feel. And they're, uh, he's French, the chef. And, and they do a very, very nice job. And, and I think for what it is, a, a fairly reasonable price. Yeah, I don't. I I haven't been there in a while, and I think it was just for an event. So you know, see, agree, the room is great, but I'd love to. Yeah, I'm sure I would love anything on the menu right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad we are talking about the. If you like this, you might like that. So thank you for doing that with me. Now I want to talk about something that you you two, as along with your third partner Molly H, are doing. You're bringing back between the bites. That I guess you you can describe it for me, but I would call it almost like a culinary storytelling event. Tell me about it. Go ahead, Rachel. So in 2013, Liz, Molly, and I went to dinner and had this very unexpected brainchild, which is that we love deep, rich storytelling. And at the time, the state of Chicago food journalism felt like a lot of listicles and a lot of best of burgers or pizza or things of that nature. And we just had this thought literally over dinner between bites that maybe people would enjoy an event where people in the food industry shared personal narratives in front of a crowd and people ate together and they drank and they experienced that really beautiful alchemy of live storytelling. And so we took such a gamble and Liz, I can't believe it was 10 years ago. And we hosted this first event with no microphone and also no expectations. And for years, we really brought together an incredible cross-section of the culinary community, hosted events from the California Clipper all the way to Spiaggia raised tens of thousands of dollars for charity, and then were forced into a long COVID hiatus where we weren't sure if Between Bites would have a second life. But we came back together, we got re-inspired, and we're hosting our big comeback on March 26th. And so, Liz, I, I mean, do people get emotional when they're giving these speeches? Is it funny? Uh, what, does it run the gamut? It really does run the gamut. And um, I mean, I recall one of our, I think it was, in 2018 or 2019, it was sort of towards the end before our, our hiatus. Um, we did an event at Twain, which is uh, no longer Twain, but Joe Flam read. Um, he will be back again. He's sort of a you know veteran reader for us. And his story was very sad. It was about his top chef who passed away and it literally brought the room to tears. On October 9th, I was, uh, we, me and my wife, we found out we were pregnant in April. On October 9th, we were driving to a doctor's appointment and an article came out. I've been trying to reach Fatih for weeks. I was going to New York. I wanted to talk to her, I wanted to get dinner. And an article comes out in, I believe it was Bon Appetit, and it says, my name is Fatih Ali and I have a year to live. And that's how she told all of us. <sighs> Sorry. Um, so a week later, I go to New York, and um, I was there with my friend, uh, Stephanie Insert. 
Foxy's like, oh, I've always wanted to meet Steph. And I was like, she's a crazy savage person. You're a crazy savage person. You'll love each other. We always try to mix it with kind of humor, you know, because we give the readers, the only parameter they have is um, a theme for the night. It has to be food related. It has to be nonfiction. It has to be a personal essay um, and not go over like six minutes, ideally. And they can really take it in any direction they want. And we will have stories like Joe's that are super emotional and sad. And from the heart, we'll have hilarious stories. Um, Michael Muser also, also comes to mind who read Not at That Event. He was at the Dawson and he will also be back um, again for our new event, our next event. Told a hilarious, you know, kind of crazy story that we may, you know, uh, we may hear something similar. We'll see what he's going to do. But he, uh, you know, had took it in kind of a funny direction. So it runs the gamut. Um, we don't want every story to be one note, you know, so Molly, Rachel, and I get a chance to kind of see, um, we don't always see the full story, but we know the theme, we know the tone, we get an idea of the person and like, we really create a running order. So it will kind of be this journey. You're not going to get hit with some like sad story to begin with, or you're not going to be, you know, you need that kind of balance. And because we've done so many events, I think we've gotten better at determining like a run a run of show basically so people do get emotional the stories are honest they're personal and you know people get vulnerable and you know so yeah you definitely see the gamut and what makes a great story well i want to go backwards for a second say i think a lot of times you have chefs who do cooking demos and share a few sound bites or who might be able to hear and there give a little glimpse into their interior life, or you have restaurateurs who really put it all out there in terms of the experience they provide. But it's very hard to have an experience where you get to share what's happening for you and really be honest and vulnerable about your story, whether it's humorous or poignant. So Between Bites gives people this fabulous window to go inside and share something that matters to them with roughly 100 people and create this kind of electric experience. So for us, we've listened to Liz, what do you think, hundreds of stories at this point? And I think as long as somebody has a bit of a narrative arc, there's a real structure behind it. We've learned the hard way that somebody should not get up there in free flow. So you need to write the story in advance. But if there's a narrative arc, there is a blend of personal anecdotes, a little levity, a little depth. Um, it means something to them. You can tell that they're proud or connected to sharing that material. I'm thinking about also, how incredible some culinary community members are at storytelling. Jason Hamill is such a gifted writer. And when he gets up there, I always feel blown back in my chair to hear his words and where he goes from a narrative perspective. And you almost want to hate Kevin Bain because he's so good at restaurants, but he's also such an incredible gifted writer. And he delivers his story so well. He's also reading again. He's our VIP. He's been a real ardent supporter. But Kevin goes there. I mean, he doesn't do a surface story. He'll really mine his personal experiences and share very vulnerable, very personal tales in front of an audience. And I think that's what makes it great. It's it's memorable and it's authentic. Upon entering the door, I noticed that the only open table, my table, was located next to a gentleman who was far from the ideal neighbor. Drunk, loud, and way too big a fan of his own jokes. I was mortified. As we were sat by the charming maitre d' Bruce Albert, he winked at me. At first I thought it was the kind of knowing wink like, you have no idea what you're doing, do you, kid? (laughs) But when I opened the menu, I found out that the wink was much more noble. There was a post-it note inside that said, Dear Mr. Bame, the guy on your left is an asshole. (laughs) 
He will be gone soon. Until then, bear with us, love, Bruce. It was my first master class in hospitality. Bruce was smart but not stuffy. He was kind, intuitive, and spoke to us like we were old friends. He was all-knowing but not a know-it-all. And if I'm being honest, I was as dazzled as much by Bruce as I was my date. It was the first time that I learned that, yes, there are rules to service, but hospitality is a blank canvas, and watching Bruce's original form of it still inspires me to this day. Kevin is the uh, bow in Boca. So the bow. I, think, I think I knew Boca just when they were the bow, but they were, I've known them for so long. Um, yeah, you know, storytelling is interesting and having food in, in there. I've done some storytelling. I did one for you years ago. You did it twice. Uh, oh, did I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> honey bunny oh was it honey bunny yeah yeah honey bunny the only way i could kind of connect it to food was i no longer eat rabbit in a restaurant at any time i, I did notice i think at dear margaret to bring it to full circle that they have rabbit on their menu and i'm like yeah I, i'm not allowed to because there's a curse on my home and family of all bunnies because i took home the class pet honey bunny and and uh it met its demise um at 13 years old, I believe, at our house. And so I, I think there's still a picture of me, a mugshot at the school of the guy who killed Honey Bunny, but that's a, a much longer story. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I, I, I enjoyed it. And I, and, uh, I was actually there, I think the night I was there, Tony Montuano of Spiaggia fame, um, told a story about Carbonara and a restaurant in Rome. And we had happened because the kid was in fifth grade at the time we were going to Rome because that's what he was studying not we weren't going there because he was studying it we just thought it was a nice thing and we went to that restaurant and it's still my son's favorite one of his favorite experiences so we got so that so that's what between bites did for us but yes uh, I think the part of a good storytelling is is if you're if you're overcoming something as well Right. If you're challenged with something and you overcome it, I think that's always an interesting arc on, on stories. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of ways of doing it. Some are funny, some are sad, some are, you know, tasty. I was just going to um, say a little bit more about the themes that we really kind of give them. I think we, we've always sort of brainstormed these kind of, uh, you know, they're vague enough that you can take them in different ways. But, you know, we've had uh, spotlight shadows. We've had inside, outside. We've had um, in the weeds. You know, and so, hour. yes, witching hour, uh, you know, tons of themes. And, and I think they're meant to really generate, you know, this idea of like, what was a transition? What was a moment of growth? What was something to overcame? And I think that makes them make it a little easier for our readers. You know, a lot of times our readers are like, okay, I don't know if I should write about this or that. And, you know, the more honest and real and that, yes, like explaining a transition or overcoming something definitely makes for a good story. And also not everybody is comfortable getting up in front of a hundred people. So even that it's nerve. I, so I've, in addition to yours, I've um, done the moth, which is a fairly large storytelling, um, you know, endeavor. And the first time I did the moth, cause it wasn't a big, you know, there must've been five, 600 people there. Um, and I knew the, what order I was coming up in. And if you would have asked me 15 seconds before I was going up, what my name is, no chance I would be able to tell you. I was that nervous. I swear to God, I couldn't, I, I like couldn't tell you anything. But when you get up there and then you feel the energy of the crowd, it some somehow it allows you to just step up and and do a, a, a hopefully a decent job. And I always found it interesting. It, it, you can play off the crowd a little bit. 
How do people get tickets? Where is this upcoming event? Are you doing more of them? Hit me. So our next event, our big comeback is Sunday, March 26th at Beyond, which is a beautiful wellness club in River North. They have a gorgeous restaurant space. So this is a fabulous chance to see it if you're not a member. And you can buy tickets on talk. If you go to our Instagram, between underscore bites, you'll see the link. We only have 85 tickets. So you want to move a little bit fast because I do think it's going to sell out. And the proceeds will benefit the Greater Chicago Food Depository. So the venue gets to pick a charity for the night. Proceeds from ticket sales go to the charity. We've worked with a ton of charities. And that's also been a really just fulfilling part of doing this is just working with on 86th and um, I remember like Snow City Arts and um, there's so many that we've worked with, but the venue gets to pick. So it's always changing. But right now I think our plan just for this year is two events, kind of a spring and a fall for now um, while we, you know, kind of get back into it. Congratulations on, on the return of Between Bites. It's a really, really splendid um, storytelling event. And uh, you, you kind of get to see people you've heard about, read about, tasted their food and others. And I know you have a great lineup coming up for your for your comeback. And it's great seeing both of you. Thanks for coming. Thank you, David. I hope you'll read again. Yes, we need more Honey Bunny, a Honey Bunny follow-up. Or, or next time I take a class pet home, maybe I'll have another story for you. It's a risky venture. <laughs> Crane's Restaurant and Food Reporter Allie Marotti joins me now. and She has a combo platter of things to talk about. Hey, Allie. Hey, how's it going? So, so well. Michelin is back in the news in Chicago. Yes, uh, this is a little bit preemptive. They have not announced their stars yet, but that should come later this spring. But they have added seven new restaurants to uh, their Chicago guide, um, treating it sort of as a tease for these coveted stars that we all wait and watch for. Um, Basically, it's just here's more restaurants we recommend you go to in Chicago. Gotcha. And what and what which seven are they? So there's Avley on the Park, which is a Greek restaurant out in the Lakeshore East neighborhood. They have other locations as well, but that is one of their newest locations. I believe it opened in 2021. Mm-hmm. We have Indian, which is uh, in River North, and they do Indian tasting menus and fine dining. And that's pretty new. That's fairly new. Yeah, that just opened yeah. in last year. Um, we have Rue, which is a Southern restaurant in Hyde Park. Charlie McKenna, who's done a lot of Southern restaurants in town. And then Sueños, which is a Mexican restaurant inside Soho House, and that's from Chef Steven Sandoval. The Izakaya at Momotaro, which is part of Boca Restaurant Group's growing empire, and it's sort of the underground Japanese spot that's located underneath Momotaro. Right, and a totally cool place, too, if you've never been. I have not been there. Is it cool? Yeah, good spot. Good spot. Yeah. Um, Union, which is a neighborhood spot up in Logan Square. They have wide selection of whiskeys, craft beers, American food. They've got sister restaurant next door, Larden, and then a cocktail bar, Meadowlark, behind it. And then Pompette, which is a, a new Bucktown cafe and wine bar. Um, the name means a little drunk in French. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a... Tipsy, uh, I guess. But. <laughs> right, all day cafe, a uh, place I've been to and... I was talking about the actually the other day. It's kind of one of these places that um, makes you feel like having a drink during the day, maybe a glass of wine. And there aren't that many of those places. So, you know, it's kind of a day drinking spot. Yeah, that's fun. I have been there, but it was in the evening. So I didn't experience that particular vibe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the news with that. You know, last year there were 23 Chicago restaurants that earned a Michelin star. And then 
Michelin also puts out the Bib Gourmand list, which is basically, you know, restaurants they say serve high quality food and allows diners to get two courses and a glass of wine or dessert for $40. So basically what they said, uh, you know, with the announcement of these seven new restaurants is that these seven restaurants might end up with a Michelin star. They might end up on the Bib Gourmand list. We will have to wait and see. Gotcha. So I did a little research because, you know, it's so funny. We've all gotten so accustomed, as you said, to a really good point about the stars and the Bib Gourmands, right? I've totally forgot Michelin started as a guide because it was a Michelin tire company, and I believe it was in France. And I'm like, oh, you people are on the road. We'll tell you where to go. So it was just always a guide. So there's 23 Chicago restaurants with stars. There are 55 Bib Gourmand restaurants. Okay. But there are actually more restaurants in the guide that have no stars or, or, or Bib Gourmands because there's a total of 167 now restaurants in the guide. So getting a tease like this might lead to a Bib. It might lead to a star, but no guarantees because there's certainly a lot in there that have neither. Exactly. And I don't know exactly you know what they're protocol is or what they look for before they add something to their guide. Um, I know the Michelin star rating system, the star list has been in flux in Chicago the past couple of years, in part because of what they were doing with the pandemic, right? There were some Michelin starred restaurants that closed for, you know, a year or two. And for a while there, Michelin kept their star ranking. But then last year we saw some of those fall off. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens this year. Which ones have, have you know, have they come back on? Are there new ones completely? All that good stuff. Tell me the seven again, because I wanted to make sure we got seven. Because I've been I've been reading so much stuff today, I can't keep track. Okay. It's Avli, Rue. Indian. Indian. Sueños. Four. Izakaya at Momotaro. Union and Pompette. Hey. Perfect. Great. Allie, great catching up with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's our show this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Rachel Rischel and Liz Grossman from Between Bites. Also, as always, Allie Marotti. You can find her work at chicagobusiness.com. Check our show notes for links to all the places we've talked about. You can attend Between Bites live Sunday, March 26th at 5.30. Featured storytellers are Chandra Ram, Michael Muser, Joe Flom, and Kevin Bame. Tickets are available via Talk. The Dining Table with David Mamelow is produced by Todd Manley at Crane's Audio Studios. If you can take a moment now to give us a rating review, that would be awesome. That's the best way for others to discover our conversations. I'm David Mamelow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>